Good morning. Glad that you are here today. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Woodlawn. I don't know if I've ever gotten an opportunity to meet um, any of you or all of you or most of you, uh, however that is. Um, But I serve out at Worship at the Water, and i got to say, it's probably 15 degrees, 20 degrees cooler in this place. I can see why you all like hanging out here. This is is good stuff. Um, I will not be offended if because of the cooler temperatures and the the dimmed lighting, if you want to take a nap, um, that's some of the best sleep I ever got in my life was that one hour during church when, when the preacher would preach. And so I won't be offended. I'm accustomed to out at the water people looking past me and just glazing over as as they looked at the beauty of that place, and so uh, I I don't get offended. Anyway, it's good to be with you. Um, We're in continuing and kind of winding up this this, uh, series that we've been doing entitled Blueprint, where we've been unpacking the fact that God has a plan for His church that doesn't include bricks and mortar. We've been kind of basing ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 and 16, where it tells us that we are God's co-workers in His service, that you are God's field, God's building. And then down in verse 16, it says, Do you know or don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? We've been unpacking and we've been learning into and trying to lean into the fact that God has a blueprint for His church that isn't about structures and spaces. It's about people. The Father isn't concerned about us going to church as much as He is in us becoming and being the church. Bottom line is, you can come to church and still not be a transformed follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, I can go down and I can sit at the, the McDonald's all day long, but is that ever going to make me a Big Mac? No. I can hang out at McDonald's all day. It's not going to make me a Big Mac. I can come and I can hang out at church, but it doesn't translate into me becoming a Christian. God wants to do something in me so that I can become a Christian, a Christ follower, and I become His church. See, see, it's the final product that God is after. God, God's interested in disciples. Because here's the deal. You can take a Big Mac out of the package, and I can bring it over here, and I can set it down right there on that stool, and it's still a Big Mac. And I can take that Big Mac up, and I can go out to the ballpark, and I can put it in the stands, and guess what? Is it changed? No, it's still a Big Mac. That's what God's looking for, is for transformed people that will go into the highways and the byways, and just be his representatives to live into the transformed life. And over the past several weeks, we've been discussing God's plan for accomplishing that in us. We've been saying that God is looking for faith-filled, sold-out, discipleship-driven followers. He's looking for people that are faith-filled, that that will be known for their big thinking and risk-taking faith. That they will be audacious and auspicious and authentic. We've been talking about how Jesus is desiring that we be totally and completely sold out for him. Where we would leverage everything to take people that are far from God. To reach out to them and connect them to him in relationship. Where we would go where we need to go and do what we need to do. Say what we need to say. We'd leverage everything to make that happen. And then God is also interested in us in becoming discipleship driven where we invest wholeheartedly to learn God's word, his will, and his way. 
where we invest in this community and in relationships with one another. As iron sharpens iron, the Bible says, so one person sharpens another. And he wants us to to not only be in the word and in, in relationship, but he wants us to be giving so that others might receive that relationship through our gifts, our service, our prayers, our presence, and our witness, that we contribute, that we give of ourselves and of our resources so that others may enter into this amazing, transforming life. I don't know if you've been noticing your bulletins, but that's what we've been preaching, is this system that we have for discipleship at Woodlawn, where we are all about reaching real people that have real needs and and, and real crises, and we're trying to connect them with a real God. We want to invest in them with real love so that they in turn can be launched out to do ministries of real grace, which brings us to this week where we talk about launch. See, God wants passionate spiritual disciples that are others-focused to launch ministries of real grace, and in order to do that, we've got to serve others intentionally. You see... Christ followers are not spiritual consumers. We're spiritual contributors, aren't we? How many of you this past week took your life in your hands and dared to eat out on Memorial Day? Did anybody? Man, it's crazy out there. Uh, Normally, we would cook out and hang out by the pool, but since Hurricane Michael has turned our pool into a sludge pit um, and our grill's broken down, we were like, you know what, let's go out and do something. We'll just hang out at a local restaurant. And so we did that. And the place was swamped with folks. I think everybody and their mama came to the beach last weekend. The place was crowded, but you know what? They were understaffed, this restaurant. And so they were overwhelmed. Orders were getting messed up. Food was being delivered cold. It took a long time. And folks were losing their minds. They were getting agitated. You ever been there? You go to a place, you pay good money, you want good food and great service, and if you don't get it, it kind of rubs us the wrong way, doesn't it? And some of those folks got ugly. I mean, capital U, capital G, capital L, capital Y. They weren't getting what they wanted, when they wanted, and how they wanted, and and that they were just beside themselves. I came to a point where I could care less about my food, and the, I started worrying about the well-being of the wait staff, you know? You, you come to that point where you just, man, they, they can't win for losing. You see, the customers all came to be served. They came to consume. And with that mentality, it was easy for them to lose perspective and get ugly quick. See, consumers do that, don't they? When they don't get what they want, they get upset when things don't go their way. I'm going to throw Burger King under the bus for that one. I I blame it all on Burger King. That's what I told them at the first service. Everyone was happy and life was great when when we just went by McDonald's rules of order. All right? McDonald's told us up front, two all-beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. And when you went to McDonald's, that's what you got. You queued up and you said, I want a Big Mac. And they brought it to you the way they make it. And then along comes Burger King with all their arrogance. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. You remember that? All right, some of you are way too... Google it. Go on YouTube. There there was actually... That that was commercials back in the day, right? So, So 
McDonald's told us, here's the way you're going to get it. This is the way we serve it. This is the way you're going to get it. And, and Burger King flipped the narrative and said, you know what? You don't like lettuce? Hold it. You want more pickles on your sandwich? Ask us. We'll give it to you because you reign. You're the king. You're the consumer. And we want to do what is going to keep you coming through the door. Now, honestly, it's not Burger King's fault. They just capitalized on what was going on in the culture, right? That, that we're all about me. Serve me. Bless me. Help me. Do it for me. We want to know that the customer is always right and the consumer is king. And our culture has, has been like that, self-centered, self-seeking. What's sad is it's eked its way into the church. That, that's what's truly sad is that mindset and that mentality has come into the church. How, how many of y'all, and maybe some of you have said this, and I'm not, look, I'm not here to, to punch you with, and beat you with the Bible or anything, but how many of you heard people say, I had to leave that church because they failed to meet my needs? Or I'm church shopping and I haven't found a church yet that meets my needs or takes care of the things that I'm interested in. You see, it's a consumer mentality, isn't it? And that's not what God wants. God wants us to be people who launch out to serve, to be contributors. You see, the church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world, don't we? And see, when the church is the church and it lives in the world as the church and, and we don't go to a building but we just live lives that, that, that just reflect the nature and the love and the heart of Jesus, we stand in stark contrast to the culture around us, don't we? The bottom line is, folks, whether you're here in the room or you're here online, okay, if you're part of our online congregation, I need you to hear this today. Some people are not going to make it to heaven unless we help them get there. It's not up to the church. It's not the youth pastor. It's not the associate pastor. It's not the music director. It's us. It's our responsibility. Do you understand and do you realize that you are the only Bible that some people are going to read? That you are the only creed some people are going to learn? And that your life is the only sermon some people may listen to? And we have the responsibility to get them to Jesus so that he can do his work. And that's not going to happen if we simply go to church. It only is accomplished if we become the church and we live out there in a broken, hurting, and dying world. It's, it's with that introduction that I want to bring us to John chapter 4. You see, John chapter 4, we experience and we encounter an exhausted Jesus. And here he was taking a break at a well in Sychar smack dab in the middle of Samaritan territory in the heat of the day. It's hot, it's dry, it's dusty. He's already spent. The disciples have been sent on an errand to go procure some food. And while Jesus is there trying to take some shade and shelter, he encounters a woman drawing water. A, a woman that should have been there at the beginning of the day where it wasn't so hot when the rest of the women, women gathered to do this task. But here she was in the middle of the day. There's a lot of speculation, but it seems like she may have had a reputation that made her the subject of a lot of gossip and shaming. So there she wasn't in the morning. She was there in the heat of the day. And the Bible talks about a lengthy exchange Jesus has with her. 
It's one of the longest that is noted in the, in the Gospels. I, I hope that you'll take a moment today to just go and read the chapter there in John 4 to unpack all the nuggets. There's just so much there that we could have preached about this morning, that we could preach other sermons about. It's a great, great story. But as Jesus is interacting with this lady, some, some cool stuff happens. And, and at the end of their conversation, this lady goes back to her town. And about that time, the disciples come up with the food that they have purchased. And here's what it says, starting in verse 31. And the disciples urged Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him some food? Who brought him a happy meal? Who who went down to Tzatziki's and brought him some hummus and carrots, you know? Well, who who did that? We went, and this was our errand. This is what we were going to do. Why can't we get credit for doing it? And Jesus said, guys, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You see, guys, I'm supposed to be a contributor. I'm not worried about food right now. See, my food is to do the will of of him who sent me and to finish his work. You see, this lady that I met with, her eternity was at stake, and it is more important than what I have for lunch. Kind of goes along with the character of Jesus as we experience him in Scripture, doesn't it? Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve and to give, not be served and to receive. Jesus makes it very clear that he is on a kingdom schedule. That it's not about him. It's about the world that desperately needs what he has to offer. He goes on in verse 35. Guys, you need to wake up and look around you because the fields are ripe unto harvest. John chapter 4 is the first time that Jesus enters into those that were outside the blessing of being the Special, called, privileged people of God. He's out there working with Israel's enemies, the the 'er ne'er-do-wells, the unspeakables. And and Jesus is out there saying, I have work to do that brings them into the kingdom. And look out here at all the possibilities. This is not a time for food. This is a time for us to roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty because the harvest is ripe and there's nobody out there doing the work. Jesus was weary and he was tired. And yet, he goes down and pulls even deeper resources out of his exhaustion and out of his weariness to minister to this lady whose eternity hung in the balance. He wasn't there to consume. He was there to contribute. And when the disciples come back, they're like, if anybody deserves a break today, it's you, Jesus. And yet Jesus isn't concerned about himself, is he? He's focused on the mission of God, of giving and teaching and serving and loving because this Samaritan woman, her salvation was more important than what was for supper or his wants or his desires. You see, that's how Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. But that's who he calls us to be, isn't it? He calls us to that same commitment and he expects nothing less of his followers. 
Matthew 16, 24. If anyone wishes to come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You see, folks, if you're going to follow me, Jesus said, it's not about what you get. You've got to des- deny yourself and, and be all in for what you can give. Out at Worship at the Water last week, I, I discussed how disciples are supposed to take on the likeness of their master. How, how disciples are supposed to act like and look like and sound like the one they follow. I used the example of Steve Irwin. You remember the crocodile hunter? I mean, he had a, a certain look about him and he had a certain passion about him and he had certain language. And, and, and you can tell folks that are Steve Irwin devotees because they love wildlife, don't they? And they may wear those sweet khaki shorts and shirt, right? But, but they're going to get down in the mud and they're going to get dirty because of their love of the animals and, and they're going to sound different. They're going to say stuff like, Crikey! And don't muck around with the sharp end. She's a, she's a beautiful Sheila, Right? We expect people that hang out with Steve Irwin to sound like him and to look like him and to to have that same passion. It's the same thing with Jesus. Jesus says, I expect you as my disciples not to be all about what, what folks can do for you, but what you can do for the world. Go and make disciples. You need to be outside the building and out there in the spaces just being my transformed followers. You're going to be different because you're you're... You take after me. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 2 verse 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I've ceased. I've denied self and I've let him take the controls. And I let him sit on the throne and he sets the agenda. You see, the moment that we come to Christ and we connect with His life and receive His power and forgiveness and learn and lean into His word, will, and way, that's the moment that we are to stop focusing on ourselves and start living for others. Isn't that how Jesus summarized the commandments? Jesus, what are the commandments? And Jesus boiled it all down. I love it when when Jesus just makes it simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And oh, by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. Have this component. Yes, you desperately need to to lock into God, but you're not done there. You need to lock into your neighbor. It's it's this connection and and it's this connection. I, I brought some visuals. Let's just say I'm this extension cord, all right? This, this extension cord as it is, is lifeless and it's dead. There's no power to it. It's unfulfilled in its purpose. It's just really taking up space on the stage until I picked it up. But, but here's the cool thing, alright? If I were to go over here and plug this into another outlet, easier said than done, all of a sudden... This is transformed, isn't it? It's got power running to it. You don't believe me? Come up here and bite through this cord. (laughs) You light up my life. But you know, even though it's it's tapped into a power source and, and it's all of a sudden transformed and changed because of what's surging into it, it is still not met with its full purpose and intent, has it? You see, it's consuming electricity... 
It's a consumer, but, but it's not contributing yet. It's running up our power bill. It's taking up resources that could be otherwise diverted. It's plugged in, but nothing productive is occurring. But when I, when I plug it into something... <laughs> I love this part. I feel like Tim the Tool Man Taylor. All right, did you hear that? See, when I, when I took the cord and I plugged it into this dead tool, all of a sudden this is filled with power to accomplish what it was created to do. That's why you got to make sure the connection is deep and strong, Right? Or how does he do that laugh? The bottom line is, we aren't fulfilled. We We aren't doing and being what God wants us to be. Yeah, we can be plugged into him, but it's not until we plug into a ministry or a job or a task with the things that we have to offer that we have met our full potential as a disciple of Christ. We're to serve. We're to plug in and to be used like this drill. You know, this drill is going to help secure things, aren't it? It's going to help drive in those screws, or it's going to bore holes so that bolts can be applied. It's, it's all about its, its power and its function is meant to bring things together. It's kind of like us when we are living as God's church we are reaching real people and, and, and we're out there looking to secure them to Christ, to, to get them connected to Him and make sure they stick. So I use my gifts and my talents and I utilize them within the ministries to serve the body, to help others live into their purpose and to find out this transformative life that Jesus gives. How many times have I come into church? And I'm speaking to me, not you. How many times have I come into church and I had coffee and donuts that I didn't make or purchase or or go and get? How many times have I gotten a bulletin that I didn't fold that was handed to me? How many times have I dropped my children off in the nursery because somebody was willing to do their part to secure me and my family? Children workers, youth workers, small group leaders, Sunday school. There's folks out there that are empowered by the Holy Spirit that are releasing that power through a ministry within the church to help others connect to Jesus and to grow in their love and devotion to Him. Not about my needs. It's about contributing to meet the needs of others. And I'm so glad I didn't pull that trigger and just drill through my arm right then. You see, Romans 12, 6 through 8. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take responsibility seriously. 
And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. See, we have been called by God to serve in his church, haven't we? Where we use our power, the gifts and the talents and the abilities that we have to serve others in ministries, and we do it gladly. Gladly. We're excited about serving in his church as a disciple. We are outwardly focused. We are willing to serve others intentionally. But we won't serve if we think the church exists for my benefit. I'm not going to plug in if I'm coming here and expecting to receive each and every time I come. And, and, and what's sad is we're going to miss out on another blessing of God's calling because not only has God called us to serve in His church, He's called us to serve as His church out in the world. Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16. These are red letter words. These are important. Jesus spoke these words. He tells us, listen guys, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is, is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. God wants us out of the salt shaker and into the world. He wants us out of the pew and into the places where folks are not coming to church. Out there in the world, He wants us in our community to light up the world with His light. So not only does he want us to be plugged in in the church using our lives like a power drill, but he wants us to be plugged in as lights to serve our world. Turn off the lights if you would. Is that that possible from back there? If not, we'll pretend it's dark, right? This this couple weeks ago, my family and and, and I, we went to... uh, Tennessee, we went to Chattanooga, and one of the days we were there, we did a cave tour in Raccoon uh, Mountain Caverns. It's a 45-minute walking tour, and it was beautiful. All, all the, the formations that were made by the limestone dripping from the ceiling and, and puddling at the bottom, there were designs and there were different colors because of the minerals that were there. And, and down in there, there was these maze of paths. We kind of followed our guide, but there were all kinds of offshoots from the main path. And there were holes and portholes that led to other spaces, that led to other trails and, and places that you could go in the cave. And toward the end of the journey, they shut off the power. And it was dark. It was pitch black dark. I've only encountered that level of, of darkness one other time, and that's when I went to uh, Mammoth Cave in Kentucky, and they turned the lights off as well, and you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. You could see some people's breath, but that's another story. Um, you couldn't see nothing until they lit a match. And when they lit a match, that whole place blew up. It, well, not blow up, okay? There wasn't like methane gas or anything. Th- that whole place lit up. And you could see what you couldn't see just moments before. A small match made a big difference. And here's the deal. It doesn't take much light in a dark environment to make a huge difference, does it? You see, in the darkness, I wouldn't have been able to find my way out of either of those places. I just wouldn't. 
I would have stumbled around and I would have gotten hurt and I would have been helpless and I would have been hopeless until somebody would have turned on a light, a flashlight, a phone light, or the power to turn all the lights back on. Can I tell you something? There are people in our world living in spiritual darkness. They're living in a sin cave. There's no way they can make it out on their own. You know that because some of you have been there. Some of you may still be there. Or you've got family members there. And you can see the desperation. They're trying to make ends meet. They're trying to make sense out of life. They're trying to live into purpose. But they can't do it because it's dark And they're stumbling around. That's why they desperately need the church to live as their light. To be ministers and ministry and missionaries right there in the midst of their caves. To say, there's a better way. Come follow me and I'll lead you to a place that's light. And a a Savior who can transform your life. Where you can live into the Holy Spirit and engage the world where it is. Church, we got to stop thinking that the world is going to find its way to our door. It's not going to happen because people aren't looking for buildings. They're looking for real life change. They're looking for people. They're looking for products. And, and they're not going to come here, so we need to go there. We, we, we need to say, here, follow me as I follow Jesus. And, and I'll lead you. And come. Uh, come to my church. Come, come, come join with me in my small group. You see... When they do, they're ready. We've gone out in the darkness and we've reached them and then we get the precious privilege to to bring them in and to connect them to God. And when they do enter into the church, we better be ready to minister to them and to serve them. I'm going to step on some toes, all right? Good preaching, that's what, that's what good preaching does, right? Step on toes. But I'm going to do it with love, okay? I'm not, I'm not here to, to hammer you. Again, I'm not here to beat you up with the Word of God. But just prior to Easter, we had a cleanup day here at Woodlawn to put our best foot forward so that when people who are far from God might come into the church in that brief moment, that, that we might have an opportunity to show and put our best foot forward. And then on Easter Sunday, we ask people to serve. To serve and, and, again, I'm preaching to the choir. A lot of you came. A lot of you contributed. But you know what? Out of a church of 1,600, it's around 3% that served on that serve day and on Easter Sunday. The Super Bowl of the church, and we were missing. I can't help but wonder what God felt. How did, how did God's heart get stirred? Because he's wanting us to be others-oriented. What did he feel by the lack of contribution by those who've benefited from the faithful service of others? Because there's no one sitting in this place or, or watching at home that hasn't benefited from someone serving the body of Christ in some way, shape, or form. That's how we got to the body of Christ, is through someone else's effort, someone else's love. The fact that some servant didn't sit and soak up the gospel, they sacrificed and served it and were willing to bleed and die and cry so that we might come into the kingdom. Might have been some parent or grandparent or teacher or pastor or coach or someone, 
They gave and they contributed and they served. And you are here today. You are in the kingdom of God today because of what they did. It's like they understood what Jesus said to his disciples when he sent them out in Matthew chapter 10. He said, guys, I'm sending you out because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So go and heal the sick and raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out the demons. Freely you have received, people. Freely give. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. Listen, you have consumed enough. Go and contribute. Go and serve. Go and give it freely. And they served in the church. And those people served as the church. And because of that, now we have rivers of living water that are now coursing through our lives. Just like that water that Jesus told the woman at the well about. You, you know what I really love about John chapter 4? It's, it's not just because of what Jesus did to instruct us about being contributors. But it's the fact that the woman lived immediately into that message and lived it out for us all to see. She became an example. You see, after her interaction with Jesus about living water and about her needs and her life and, and all the, the disparities that are there, in verse 28, after she has this interaction, she leaves her water pot and runs back. The, the one who came to consume at midday was quenched by living water. She drops her water pot to run back. It wasn't about consumption anymore, was it? It was contribution. There are other people that I know, other people that I love, other people in my town that need to hear this message. They need to find this life. They need to know this forgiveness. They need to meet this teacher. And in verse 39 of John chapter 4, people came to Jesus because of her witness and her preaching and her testimony. That's exciting to me that this lady who was broken, who was in darkness, sees a great light finds water that quenches a thirst she, she never thought could be satisfied and she stops thinking about herself and runs to be in mission with God. I wonder, I, I just wonder what would happen if we followed Christ's teaching and her example to a T. Well, we stopped coming to church and we started being the church 24-7. Whether I'm sitting on that bench or down at the ballpark or in the beauty shop or in the grocery store or at a crowded, hectic restaurant in the middle of Memorial Day, I am salt, I am light, I am power because I am filled with God. I'm His temple. I'm His building. And I work for Him. What would happen? I think there would be revival. This morning.